0: Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger, host of the Better Off Podcast. Today, we're talking about how to incorporate a values-based approach to your investing.
1: I think one of the things that we lose sight of sometimes, especially when it comes to investing, we just think more money, higher returns, et cetera, is, well, what if the best way to kind of convert that money into what we want is through our
0: portfolios, through how we invest? Welcome to the better off podcast we're sponsored by betterment the largest online financial advisor have you been struggling with reconciling your investment portfolio with your value system are you trying to figure out how to invest for the world you want well we have a special guest today we have Dan Egan who is the director of behavioral finance and investing at Betterment our sponsor who is here to talk about how you can do that now I should note that right after we did this interview unfortunately uh, there was a Labor Department caution about these types of investments specifically for retirement plans these are ESG investments which take environmental social and government factors into account and uh, right now the Labor Department under director Alexander Acosta says he's not so sure that these ESG funds should be in 401k plans so I just put that out there as a caution and a little addendum to the interview um, we're going to get into a lot of different ways that you can incorporate your values into your investments with Dan Egan if you've got questions after we go through the interview Feel free to send us a note, ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. And now, here's our interview with Dan Egan.
1: You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger.
0: Dan Egan, Director of Behavioral Finance and Investing at our sponsor, Betterment. Welcome back to the studio. How are you, man? Very well. How are you? I'm great. Just wrote this uh, new article, which is essentially titled investing for the world you want why'd you write this article so um, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll take
1: a step back so you're you've you've been in the field for years you know all about um, financial planning and money and investing And I think one of the things we get sort of caught up in is the idea of just having more money and we forget that money is only sort of worth spending on something that makes you happier more content right and that might be goods and services But it also might be making the world into a place where you want to live. So um, you look back in sort of American history. We took large tracts of land and made them into national parks. And we said that's actually going to be a better long-term use of that resource for us than it would be if we developed it. I think one of the things that um, we lose sight of sometimes, especially when it comes to investing, we just think more money, higher returns, et cetera, is, well, what if the best way to kind of convert that money into what we want is through our portfolios? through how we invest um, there's generally sort of a, at a simple level you can think about well I can take money and give to charity right um, that's sort of a direct transfer yep or um, I could invest in companies that I want to be sustainable and that I want to create the goods and services to help people in the world um, that might be set up as a corporation I, I sort of look at it as we have um, you know we, we can choose what we to do with our money if it sometimes means um, investing differently maybe making a little bit less money on the returns, but that money goes out and helps communities or um, sort of at-risk populations that we want to help support. That's a really good use of our money.
0: So, I mean, when I think about social investing... Um, I go back years and um, I think well you know this was the you know the early stages of this was hey I don't want to own a tobacco company like that's just bad right and I really don't want to support that except a lot of those big tobacco companies were part of big indexes so it was really difficult to kind of scrub a portfolio of those types of perceived bad companies quote-unquote bad companies and you know there were some competitors that were able to create that Uh, you know I think that Amy Domini was like the first who did this at Domini social index fund and there were different ones but everybody's got a something Yep. you're talking about putting your money to good what if you want to kind of scrub your portfolio of the those companies that are distasteful to you yep
1: this is a really tough one I think Um, so This is uh, one of the people in the behavioral finance literature talk about this as like the disgust factor the yuck factor Um, I don't want to benefit from selling of guns or um, you know like you said uh, alcohol tobacco or firearms well no alcohol I'm fine with (laughs) well and I think that's the thing there are also people who are on the flip side of that right I think there's the the sort of question there is um, it's one thing to have a gut reaction and say like yuck I don't want to be part of that but if you really want to be thoughtful about what do you want to achieve in the world maybe how you invest isn't the best way to do it especially in indices where we're investing in existing publicly listed companies um you're not really going to influence their share price too much by trying to divest from them and oftentimes somebody who is greedy and doesn't have your same moral point of view is going to come in and buy that up at a cheap price anyway Mm. so um, i think that that's the most interesting thing is like getting over the initial hump of like how i feel about something and saying what's the most effective way to change the world in the way towards towards the the way I want it to be Um, strangely enough sometimes that's actually owning more of that company
0: right because then you have a voice then you have you can say I can agitate I would rather so for example there was this big controversy obviously after Parkland and people were saying well maybe we should get these big mutual fund companies or investment companies who own tons of stock to agitate with these companies and essentially say stop making these crazy guns that kill you know so many people like one thing to have a, a shotgun or a rifle yep. or a handgun but we don't really need these semi-automatic military yep. guns manufactured is that plausible in this day and age
1: so I think we haven't seen it done very well at scale yet because it's cheaper for sort of most funds to manufacture something where They say, like, we're just going to divest of this specific thing that we don't want inside of it. Engaging with management is much tougher. It takes a little bit more uh, of a desire to really change it. But think about it this way. This is something that hedge funds have been doing for the longest time they build up up to like a 5 10 15 percent stake, and all of a sudden they demand a seat at the table they demand that management changes their practices or even ousting the CEO Um, I've seen activists getting involved in management discussions with as little as 1% of the company's outstanding capital
0: talk about incorporating your values into your investments but also adhering to a passive investment strategy how do you reconcile those
1: so I actually I've grown to have a slight uh, frustration with the whole passive uh, term just really I, forget, Why? Like, I think people overload it with too many different meanings Okay, um, let's let's so, say
0: let's talk about the meaning that you think about when you say
1: passive sure so I think the meaning that I mean is not trying to second-guess the market too much and, and paying too much in order to play that game mm-hmm. so you can think about um, maybe I trade a lot of stocks myself and I'm paying commissions when I trade or mm-hmm. maybe I buy uh, a mutual fund that says it's going to beat the market and I pay more in management costs. Um, That sort of second guessing the market or really like having high cost of turnover of trying to beat it. That's definitely something that I would avoid. But some people say, oh, well, that means that you just have to track the index perfectly. And I don't think that's quite right.
0: Well, I think of a passive, I think of it as maybe closer to what you just said, which is I think passive is two things. I think that, number one, it's not mucking around with your investment structure once you create it. That's an easy one. But I also think that there is something to be said for minimizing your fees with a fixed basket whatever that basket is Mm -hmm. so it doesn't have to mean that you only buy index funds but it does have to mean that you're trying to buy things that don't turn over all the time explain how somebody who hews to a more passive approach can avoid this churn of just buying the companies you like or trying to get rid of the companies you don't like the company you like today could be a company you hate tomorrow so what should the approach be so I
1: always think that it's really great to set out sort of a process or your set of principles when you first do it you know like I I don't like making sort of decisions in the moment because I know that's when I'm most likely to make a bad decision but you know in a cold state of mind say okay how am I going to evaluate companies Mm -hmm. Um, and why should
0: I be because how do I know what I'm doing
1: yep um, and I think that's where it's worth paying a little bit for an intermediary to just basically outsource that. I don't I don't cut my own hair. Um, I'm happy paying somebody to do really? it.
0: Really? Their... I'm sh- I'm shocked that you say that, <laughs> looking at your hair right now. So I think
1: there's, you know, um, you said in terms of passive, I think that saying I want to strategically pick companies that are higher rated on environmental, social, and governance factors. Um There's going to be a third party who does that systematically. They're going to go in and look at how the board's operating, whether or not the company has- And what are those companies?
0: Are those accessible? If I have a Betterment account, is that something that's accessible? Is there an algorithm for that?
1: So one of the things that, um, again, coming back to view ourselves as doing, is taking customers' desires and trying to figure out the most effective way to achieve them, and Easily, one of the top things people have been asking for over the past four or five years was, I want some way of investing in a socially and environmentally responsible manner. So, I would guess about 18 months ago, we launched our SRI ESG portfolios.
0: Can you uh, stop with your alphabet soup and say, ready? Let's do that again. So, tell me, what does
1: SRI mean? So, SRI uh, is socially responsible investing. ESG is environmental social governance. Mm -hmm. And both of these are ways of basically saying, we want to assess companies on things other, other than their profitability, other than their share price. Um, there, are, Some even go so far um, as being B Corps, which are built into their corporate structure, is that they want to follow certain ethical standards. So, if you want to invest in a way that says, I want to overweight companies that basically are acting as good actors in the, uh, the marketplace... Um, even if they aren't the most profitable, it's a way of rewarding them for taking that hit and doing
0: it in a systematic, transparent manner. Talk a little bit about um, what you give up potentially when you say a little bit. What what does that mean? If I need a way to quantify because I'm willing mm. to give up a little bit, but a little bit means something different yep. to every single person.
1: Yep. So this there's, is there's the weird thing. We We sort of say that because your portfolio is going to be a little bit more concentrated, right? So you're not going to have the full diversification. You're going to avoid some really bad actors. Um, And that just puts you into a slightly less diversified portfolio. At the end of the day, we're not really sure what's going to happen. It really could be that companies that follow these ethical standards actually end up outperforming. You Mm -hmm. could end up doing better. Um, So from a risk management point of view, it looks like, oh, it's a a bit less diversified. Um, There's going to be a little bit higher cost because we have to pay people to continually assess the companies. But... We don't know what a little is because we're going to only know in hindsight.
0: And what about on the fixed income side and the bond side? Are you avoiding those companies that are issuing bonds in the same exact way? Same screeners?
1: So there's not as much out there right now to do that, um, especially not in the ETF space where there, there's sort of more transactional volume. Um, we are seeing more and more of it. And I do think that, The ability for companies to raise debt is probably going to be a lot more – they'll be more sensitive to that if they need to do it. So um, I do think that corporate bonds that follow ESG things – I've seen two or three come out in the past year. It's a very interesting space to look at,
0: but they're also just not
1: big yet. They're not Mm. a big part of the market.
0: Because you could say, oh, I want – you know. I really would like to avoid some of these bad actors but then you end up owning the bonds of those bad actors anyway
1: very true Uh, corporate bonds make up a relatively small part of the overall fixed income basket compared to treasuries and other nationals but um you're absolutely right can I ask you a question yeah why not? so you've been a CFP for years I know so many years so many years you must have had these conversations with clients too Mm -hmm. you know like I I I have them with 300,000 clients but
0: remember I have not been in practice for almost 10 years And in that when I was in practice there weren't as many alternatives and so essentially what I would say to people is this this is like the biggest punt in the universe Mm. I'd say make as much money as you possibly can and then give your money away that was really my because I do feel like it is awfully hard to I mean I was a I was a passive investor I was the chief investment officer of a firm where we used indexes mostly Mm -hmm. and as a result I couldn't extract the bad actors from the index yep. and so my feeling was that you know what be charitable in a very micro way give your money away and that's the best thing we can do today I might have a different opinion although I still st- tend to be more like that I have to say because I feel like it's very hard to accomplish so much yep. and there are a lot of bad actors in different ways so environmental groups you might have thought that you know um, you know, three years ago, you might've thought Volkswagen was a really good actor right, in the universe. Right. And then it becomes a bad actor. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's a bit of a slippery slope. I don't invest that way personally. Yeah. And um, I'm cause I'm really boring. I'm yep. a- straight-up passive index investor I think there's a lot to be said for
1: that kind of focus where you say I'm gonna you know like I'm gonna assess my companies in terms of how well they do financially and then I'm gonna take my profits and I'm gonna put them towards really focused yeah when I
0: when I realized that after tax reform went into effect uh, I was you know I, I sort of thought this was everyone said this is gonna be terrible for charities and I was like no it's not everybody's like much more interested in the value system that they have. And I don't think people give for a tax break. I think people give because they want to give. So it may be that you feel like, hey, this administration is dismantling the EPA and I need to give to environmental causes much more today than I did three years ago. That's a valid way to approach it. And if you are a, a gun lover, then go out and buy Remington and get them out of bankruptcy. I don't care, but that's your choice. I just have a really hard time reconciling um, a prudent investment approach it's almost easier to do it as a consumer than it is as an investor completely
1: agree Uh, you know like it's it's, I I know from you know working at a company that it's hard enough to sort of figure out what you're doing as a company do the right thing and then when you're splitting your time between oh well we need to make money but we also need to adhere to these guidelines it can get very confusing Um, and I think that if you're focused in serving your clients, um, you know, talking about Remington years ago, um, they started really trying to make safer guns, which involved things like biometric locks. Um, and there was a lot of innovation around that period that as consumers, if we had gone out and said, what we want are safe guns, they would have been much more responsive to it. It's so easy to say, well, if we want to maximize profits, let's
0: make what the people want.
1: This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger,
0: we'll get back to our interview with Dan Egan in just a minute so you know we're coming into the spring it finally feels like spring and we got through tax season you're feeling good before you shut down and go into your whole summertime slump here's a question how do you know that you are saving and investing for the life you want I know that finances can be confusing And certainly, understanding the market not only can be intimidating, but it's really hard. Fortunately, our sponsor, Betterment, is hoping to change that. At Betterment, hidden costs are nowhere to be found. No matter who you are or how much money you invest, you get everything for one low, transparent management fee. And as a fiduciary, betterment makes recommendations in clients best interests they're not incentivized to recommend certain funds they don't even have their own investment products to sell remember all investing involves risk better off listeners can get up to one year managed free for more information visit betterment.com slash better off that's betterment.com slash better off and now back to our interview with Dan Egan okay what are what other trends are you seeing around the investing world this this idea of aligning your value system it seems like a quite actually it's very millennial in many ways mm-hmm. that uh, you know people want to do business with brands that they are aligned they they align with that value proposition is there anything new that you are seeing um, that incorporates more of an emotional impact with the financial world
1: so I think there's a couple of um, a couple of things one is that on the existing large corporation side we can see that scandals have a bigger and more immediate effect Um, so when a company does something bad um, it sort of feels like there's so many examples over the past year that it's crazy pick one we have Starbucks
0: poor Schultz he's like this big-time liberal and that something rotten happens in his store
1: one random employee um, United Airlines um, dragging clients off the plane
0: uh, killing dogs at what, yes. what airline was killing dogs? Was it United also? Note uh, to self can, don't fly don't United. Fly
1: United. <laughs> um, so I think that there is, because of the fact that we're more connected, there's more sort of like a, a social network and hurting effect going on. That there. there can be immediate hitbacks on like this is something that it was really bad and you really need to fix it and show that you're. you're um, Sorry for it. On the other hand, I kind of feel like it's a flash in the pan. Like we said, they come, they go. We kind of remember that maybe we don't want United, but how do you reward United or somebody else for changing things? Um, and in that case, I think that um, on the opposite side of it, more sort of towards um, crowdfunding or direct impact investing, things like Kiva, where you're able to say that here's an individual who um, you know basically needs to refinance their um, student loans, and I want to help them do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the ability to connect with people who are basically good bets from a sort of charitable investing point of view has gone up dramatically, and I think that um, you know if you if it means that you occasionally make a little bit less money, you can chalk it up in your mind to saying, well, the point of that
0: was to do good, and if I if I achieve that, I'm okay with it. And a lot of the big banks have arms of their investment banks that are trying to really do these micro lending and socially impactful investments, but these are not something that you and I can necessarily invest in. So, how do we bring that to the masses?
1: I think. I mean, I think it's happening. I think it's going to continue to happen. Um, I always like uh, another element of it that uh, is sort of a, a less um, appreciated part of this so that technology is playing things so um in i believe it was africa um they had M-Pesa, which is basically a way that you can pay bills and transfer money over your phone and this uh cheap mobile phones and the ability to transfer money over the phones allowed people to figure out which markets they should be selling their fish in and allowed like a lot of improvements in the standards of living. The other thing it did is allows us to track and learn from things faster. So technology usually records down that data just as part and parcel of what it does. And if we then can learn what works and what doesn't work even faster, it makes putting money into those sort of charitable exercises
0: all the more attractive. Interesting. So there's been no bear market since betterment has been in existence, there are a lot of people who are inve- younger ones who have not lived through a bear market. So, yep. what messaging do you want to give to them? Because you are you're, you're a left brain, right brain guy. That's what behavioral finance yep, is, absolutely. right? So, what can we do when we have one of those churning, horrible days, yep. and the Dow's down a thousand points, or the S and P's down five percent, and it's scary? What is a good way for people? To acknowledge I'm freaking out, but not do anything with that feeling?
1: I think the first thing you said is one of the most important, which is far too often financial advisors come out and they say, like, do nothing, stay the course, ignore it, right? And it's like, that's, you know, it's like being a kid and like having an itch. And just saying those things is the hardest thing in the world. It's not helpful. Um, So the first thing is to, uh, I think, think about it in the context of when you need the money. So far too often, um, you know, like I I was looking at this um, back, do you remember in early 2016 when the markets dropped?
0: Yes, I remember it was the worst first three weeks in the market ever. Right, exactly. That's something weird like that. Some
1: stuff like that. Yeah. I remember looking at my retirement account being like, I was down, I don't know, some significant percent. I think it, it ended up going down 15 or 20 percent. Um, but how much I needed to save for retirement had gone up by something like $25 a month. Oh, that's interesting. Right? So there's this thing that's kind of like, we get so, uh, and this is really the issue with humans. If I—if there's one thing I could fix, it's that we would stop being so focused on the right here and right now.
0: Stop being so human, Dan.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to have goals you have I hear to change here um, that, you know, like the, the part of, I think um, the journey is to live through those sorts of things and know that they're going to happen. Um, if you try and sidestep them, you're kind of not doing your job. I think of investing is part of you you bear risk and you get return back and other if you're not bearing risk you should be in a savings account
0: Dan as the great Alanis Morissette once said oh, the only way out is through you do have to go through these exactly. times and actually the the more that you go through it the better you get may is going to mean that this is the second longest recovery on record yep okay I'm freaked out by it because I know That we are not going to all of a sudden rescind the business cycle that we will have a recession so all I want is to for it to happen and I want there to be a bear market and the longer this goes on it's like the longer it goes on the more uptight I get yeah because I know it's gonna happen yep and I do feel like there is a bit of investor amnesia that goes on so I worry you know now I don't have a company I don't have to care right but I do worry that people become a little fat, dumb and happy. Yeah. And they forget that bad things can happen. Let me let me moderate that a little bit. Why not? All right. So I've been moderated before. There have
1: been uh there have been two, only two in the past, I don't know, what is this? Hundred and fifty years of our financial market. Only two times where something that bad happened. So there was nineteen thirty so, good, I didn't two thousand eight nine. So
0: I got that one out of the way. Yep. But there'll be another twenty percent decline. That's no big deal. And Absolutely. there'll be a recession and the recession'll think- last for a year. Big deal, right? Yeah. I mean if as long as you don't lose your please don't hear that the wrong way everybody I know that that bad things happen during recessions but it won't be what you're saying is the Great Recession yes is unlikely to recur these these things we remember
1: them think about like we don't remember we don't hear the news about all the car crashes that happen every day but we hear all the news about the plane crashes that happen when things are rare and horrible and really
0: salient that's what stands out and that's what we remember I like the idea that it's unlikely that a cataclysmic event will occur however I do think only looking at the optimist upside is dangerous and that we want to remind people that hey just because times are good right now doesn't mean you don't have an emergency reserve fund or it doesn't mean that you shouldn't continue to save because everything's going up you know forever that we still need to do the work right
1: absolutely I I think of it as um we need to make lots of smaller good decisions and not worry about making one really bad decision. So um, over the past five years that Betterment's been around, we have seen, I believe it's five corrections. So a fall in the market of 10% or more and that one fall of 20%, just over 20
0: 19.9. It wasn't a bear market. Wow. you twenty eleven on the point. All mm-hmm. right. Well, uh, it's just—I'm telling you that when you go look it up, everyone's going to say this is the second longest bull market on record because that one 19.9 percent drop in this right. S&P when we got the credit downgrade—we got so
1: close, got so <laughs> close—like
0: just do it.
1: So I sort of think about it this way: we uh, like we have all of these fire drills, let's call them these drops of 10 percent, and if you make if you freak out every time there's a drop yeah. of 10 percent, and then you're out of it for the following year, right? Then you're actually in just as bad a place as if you had done nothing when the market dropped
0: 10%. Although there are good things that you can do to avoid a disaster. That's why we buy life insurance, right? It yep. is unlikely when I'm 30 years old that I'm going to drop dead and leave my family destitute. So I transfer the risk and I buy life insurance. Yep. But what you're saying is as an investor, you don't really have to necessarily contemplate that.
1: No, I, I think that you know what we... What we miss out on is we get so focused on what's the market doing? Is it dropping? Should I react to this? And we're not thinking about maybe, you know, like a month ago, I should have been talking to my boss about a raise because then I could save some more money. Maybe I should have been figuring out some kind of side hustle. Um, like the best way to be on track for any big financial goal is to figure out some way to save a little bit more money. It's really hard to make money in the stock market especially in a risk-free way.
0: Right. And so the the bottom line lesson I think is that the save more, spend less still works yep. and that your investments aren't or your house by the way is not supposed to rescue you from that for for lack of saving. Yep. It's just like, wow, it's nice if you beat inflation. Okay. So, what is the most important thing that you want people to remember from this whole interview? I think it's it's um to
1: think really clearly about what you're trying to achieve, and then pick whichever method is going to be most effective, right? Um, I personally, I, I give to a number of different charities, and when I do that, I look at it and I say, like, I really want to, like, I want to use this money. It's part of my money. I'm spending it in some way. I want it to be really effective. So go out there and do the work on, number one, what are you trying to achieve, and number two, what's the most effective way to achieve that goal?
0: And remember we had um, right around giving Tuesday we had the guy from charity navigator on which is one of the reasons that we love that organization is that it helps you kind of use the same methodical approach when you're giving money as you are investing and really what I would say for everyone listening you spend so much time worrying about some of the some of the worries around the markets and and I think to hear Dan say look it's more important that you're saving a little bit more figure that out I'm not saying you should not go on vacation go on vacation if you want but stop freaking out about the investment side concentrate on the things you can control if you did you just get a big tax refund yep. was that was that something that you meant to happen why is there a more effective way to to deploy those assets think about it that way yep. Dan Egan who is the Director of Behavioral Finance and Investing at our sponsor, Betterment. Thank you for joining us here. Thank you so much
1: for having me. This was fun. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger.
0: Okay, it's time for the listener question of the week. Remember, here at Better Off, we've got two chances every week to get on the air. After our Thursday interview show, we have the listener question of the week, and then we drop the Better Off bonus call of the week on Tuesdays easy way to get in touch with us is by email ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com right now we are going to talk to Lisa from the nation's capital hello
2: Lisa welcome to the program what can I do for you hi Jill um, I would like some help with my retirement planning okay so I'm self-employed uh, I'm a property manager um, and I manage about five units uh, I'm married and um, thus far, my husband has done the bulk of our retirement savings be- through his work. Uh, he has a 401k through his work that we've been maxing out for a number of years. Um, and then I have a smaller IRA and he has a small IRA that he rolled over from a prior job. Okay. Um, and we are getting to that point where our income is going to pass the threshold where we can no longer contribute to my Roth IRA. Ah. Um, so I'm wondering what options I have once that happens okay so how much do you
0: earn as a self-employed property manager
2: me by myself yep. I make 40 okay and he makes how much let's see i um, well combined we pull in about 240 so he's he's right around 200 okay great
0: and his work is his 401k is it? it's a traditional not a Roth right right And you've been contributing to a Roth IRA yourself, right? Yes. How is your cash flow on the 240 combined income? How are you guys doing?
2: Um, We're doing pretty well. So we put between 20 and 24% of our monthly income pays our mortgage. Uh, We own an apartment in D.C. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we put aside between 25 to 30% of our income between long and short-term savings. And that includes our retirement savings. That's awesome.
0: So how much money do you have in the bank right now?
2: Um, what just in like savings accounts? Yeah, like safe,
0: boring stuff.
2: Safe, boring stuff. About twenty thousand. Okay, you got kids. I do. How many? I have two. How old are they? They
0: are eleven and five. Do you do any savings for um, education for them?
2: They each have five twenty nine accounts that we've been contributing in since they were born.
0: Wow, how much money is in each account?
2: so the 11 year old has about 90,000 and the five-year-old 60,000
0: oh my god you might as well stop now everything's good right
2: <laughs> I'm sure they're gonna I be concert so.
0: they're violists. I know that they'll get a scholarship anyway um, how much money have you guys socked away for your uh, retirement thus far between the 401k your IRA his rollover what do you have out
2: there in total we have about 250 hmm we have a strange situation where um, we, he had been maxed my husband had been maxing out his 401k for for about five years um, when his employer caught that there was a local regulation that limits his ability to contribute to his 401k at the max oh so, highly um,
0: compensated yes mm-hmm.
2: so mm-hmm. right now they're treating that as if we had given them a loan to the corporate 401k program so we <sighs> get additional payments so we're still we're grandfathered in because mm-hmm. we weren't caught right away <laughs> um, but this year those will end um, and so we'll only be able to put seven point five percent with the company match into his 401k yeah uh,
0: yeah yeah okay but wait a second maybe we should just put in a retirement account for you um, have you explored I mean I know you don't have huge I- income but we could put away probably 10 grand out of the 40 grand in a a SEP IRA or maybe in a uni for a 401k for yourself you can actually have like a basically a one-person 401k because you only it's only you you only have your own income right right okay no employees right I think you may want to explore that number one because one of the things that that being a small business owner allows you to do is to create your own retirement account and maybe, because he's going to be limited in how much he can put away, we've got to try to put more away through you. And okay. that through you, we can do it pre-tax. We still can do it pre-tax for you. That would be something I would absolutely explore. When you invest in all this stuff, are you just managing this yourself? Do you manage his rollover account? Do you have someone who does it for you? who who are you working with? or is it just you guys on your own?
2: We're doing it ourselves,
0: okay. So here's what I want you to do do you, do you work with a CPA by the way
2: my husband's actually a CPA
0: so. Awesome. okay so you and your husband just for fun what you're gonna do is you're gonna start exploring putting a uni 401k or a SEP IRA in place for you and you should do it for this tax year and that way you can start to put more of your own income sock that away pre-tax and it would essentially make up for what he's probably losing in his okay okay all right so that's one part of it it sounds though like you may have more than that to put away I'm not sure because I'm not sure how much more do you plan to put away in these 529 plans I don't want to necessarily overfund them but I mean how are you guys planning to proceed at this point
2: Um, well right now we have like regular monthly payments that we make into the 529 account they're automatically deducted Mm -hmm. Um, and we've been doing that for many years Mm -hmm. it
0: sounds to me like you're putting money into retirement money in the 529 and you have non retirement investments
2: Uh, we have small like like three thousand dollars so very small
0: okay so I think at some point and maybe you guys can just run yeah I mean because he's a CPA I know that he can do these figures facts and figures maybe you can do it too you you may want to just run a quick calculation uh, as to You know if I had a hundred grand at my you know right now in my 11 year olds account let's say by the end of 2018 that hundred grand would grow at what rate by the time the kid is 17 right so we have six more years would that be enough would that not be enough are you guys planning on public or private University what's your what's your guess
2: I feel like it's a little early to say right now um, mm-hmm. we'll see what our options are and what he's interested in
0: I mean again I don't want you to overfund these things but I mean if you you know if you get the sense that you know in a couple of years maybe you stop doing that the next level for you in terms of what you would do savings wise is you put your money away in your retirement account is to set up a non retirement account or add to that non retirement account and I presume that would happen sometime after you're kind of done with your 529 funding but you're doing such an amazing job and I'm very happy that you have this you know sort of this pretty I would say um, diligent and um, smart way that you're looking at your financial life and you're saving a lot of money so I think that that's Fantastic. Is there anything else that that is going on in your financial life that you need help with?
2: No, that's that's my main problem. So I need to look into a SEP IRA. A then. SEP IRA or
0: what something called a Uni 401k. So, and there are okay. off the shelf products. I mean, the SEP is an easier thing to set up. Where is the rollover money right now? Where is that held? That's with Schwab. I mean, you can just go into, you know, you can go to Schwab and they probably will have some information about SEP IRAs. All these things are off the shelf you can do it any very easily so check those two different ideas out keep doing what you're doing um, and and be clear that you know I mean I was just gonna say, let me say one other thing about that 529 your kids go to private school or public school right now in terms of uh, I was gonna say undergraduate secondary school I guess your kids secondary. gonna be...
2: they go to private schools um, my um, my family has a trust fund that pays for their private schools.
0: oh I love trust funds I want a trust fund. Can I get into that action? <laughs> All right. Uh, so but, uh, so that's going to pay for private schools, Is that, but not for college? I don't know. Mm, wait a minute. We've got to find out about that. So, Right. Can I, you? Um,
2: I, I wasn't aware of that when I started saving for them, and I haven't made adjustments to my saving strategy since I've found out about this. I
0: think that you should find out. Well, you don't want to be pushy? Right. But how would you find out about it in the first place?
2: Um, I had my my mother I had to sign paperwork
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay cats out of the bag you got it why don't you just say to your mom you know we got it we're saving a bunch of money for college is this something should I stop doing that just ask bus plate ask right. go through the front door why not okay you think that that's weird I think that that's like a normal question I think she'd be like so proud of you for being responsible and saving that money okay or maybe you say I was talking to this financial chick a podcast and she asked me about this and I didn't know should I keep doing this mom otherwise we'll save for other stuff I think that's a reasonable question to ask I I say go for it all right good luck thank you so much all right take care Thanks again to Dan Egan and to our caller, Lisa. Don't forget, we drop new episodes of Better Off every Tuesday and Thursday. You can get them wherever you get your podcasts or hop onto our website, jillonmoney.com. If you'd like to get on the program, just send us an email. Askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman mark teller show is the best ever extraordinary executive producer we are distributed by cadence 13 and we're sponsored by betterment see you next week